0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Your mates are getting married overseas. How exciting. A chance for a little holiday a well-deserved break. Just got to book those airfares, get the accommodation sorted. Uh, what's a wishing well? Right, okay, the hens is on a boat. How much is that going to cost? Oh, what, they want an engagement present too? Hey, it's Dave Marchese with you for the Hack Podcast. Look, if your friends haven't started getting married yet, don't worry, you've got all this to look forward to. We all want our friends to have their dream day, but how much is too much? And what happens if you just can't afford it? That's coming up later. First, though.
2: Hack. Before I even wanted to become a doctor, I knew I wanted to become a rural doctor.
1: On Triple J. How hard is it to book a doctor's appointment? It seems to be getting worse and worse, and that makes sense because there's a serious shortage of GPs. In the country, it's even more dire. Sometimes there's no doctor at all to cover towns. We're in this crisis because fewer young doctors are becoming GPs, and the GPs who are already working are burnt out and they're closing their doors. Are you a med student? Are you thinking about becoming a GP or are you dead against the idea? I want to know why you can call in one three hundred o triple five three six or send in a message o four three nine seven five seven triple five. Hck's been speaking with young people who want to help out. They're diving headfirst into this problem. Angel Parsons has more.
3: I have been getting more and more new patients coming to me saying that their old or previous GP has shut down their practice or has retired or has moved to a different area, and I hear. That being said, pretty much almost daily. What's your day job like?
4: Sometimes when I think mine is a bit stressful, I remind myself it's not life or death. But Dr Julisa Jahimin can't really say that. It can be stressful given the day. She's training to be a GP in far north Queensland and loving it, but there aren't enough people like her in regional Australia. Dr Ian Kammerman chairs the Australian Medical Association's Council of Rural Doctors.
5: And The problem is that a lot of our medical graduates don't wish to do general practice and don't wish to work rurally. Currently only about 15% of our graduates want to join general practice training and fewer than that want to go rural.
4: Students are abandoning general practice and instead choosing other specialties. But why? I wanted to put this question to young people in the medicine
3: community. I would probably agree that it's not the first thing that kind of comes into a budding medical graduate's mind. Dr Jahimin
4: and others I spoke to reckon general practice kind of has an image problem. There's a sense you're considered just a GP.
3: They always sort of look
4: at it as a a backup option. She remembers this time she first told a fellow medical student that she liked the idea of pursuing family medicine. And her friend's
3: first reaction was, why would you want to do that? Kind of derailed me because I took that to heart. General practice was made to be seen as not not as challenging, but GP's equally as challenging in its own way. And it's very, very rewarding.
4: Dr Jahimin studied overseas and she wishes she'd been exposed to more about general practice at uni.
3: It would have helped a lot in sort of uh, reframing my view of what a GP does at the time because otherwise I think I would have gotten into this line of work much sooner.
4: Final year medical student Vidishan Pahirathan has also felt that sort of stigma. But it's never deterred him.
3: You know, a lot of people are like,
2: you're from Sydney, why would you go rural? And for me, like, it's, if I'm driving down the street and my car breaks down, people would stop and be like, hey, mate, what's going on? Can I give you a hand? Like, that sort of simple sense of community and togetherness um, is a really big draw- drawing factor.
4: He grew up in Sydney, but loves the bush and wants to make it home. He's out doing his last placement in Emerald in central Queensland. With all these news reports going around at the moment about the stress, burnout and understaffing in rural clinics, I wanted to know what makes people like Vidishan so passionate about it. He says a big moment in his life was during a trip to Costa Rica and seeing the lack of health care available.
2: Before I even wanted to become a doctor, I knew I wanted to become a rural doctor.
4: He's really keen on pursuing a rural generalist pathway, but there are things that worry him about his future career.
2: You're away from family, most of your friends, you are isolated.
4: He said increasing Medicare rebates would help clinics stay afloat, but retaining staff was about more than. Just money.
2: Having a positive experience in the rural town is what's going to attract us to come back to rural communities.
4: Final year medical student Jess Simpson's currently in Outback Queensland on placement and really agrees with this. For the most part, I'm excited. Something I've wanted to do since I was a little kid. But definitely there are stresses in the back of my mind, especially because majority of my friends don't plan on working in rural general practice. They all sort of plan on doing more sub-specialized things in the city. I guess there's always that worry that the collegiality out in these rural towns might be minimal. Um, And I just hope that there's ongoing good supports. But she's also hellbent on rural general practice and wishes more people would give rural a go. It has been excellent. I've been here for three days. I've already been out to social tennis last night. But I think as soon as you immerse yourself in a rural placement, you can't really go back. There are huge gaps to fill to ease this really dire situation. Remember Dr Ian Kammerman from the Australian Medical Association saying only 15% of graduates are choosing general practice? Well, here's what we actually need to make a difference.
5: We need 40% of all Australian graduates to do general practice. And we need a third of those to go on and do rural training and rural practice. And we're well away from those numbers. Australia, as far as its rural health workforce, tends to rely on international graduates, particularly in medicine. where more than half of our workforce trained overseas.
4: I asked Vidashan if these stats and all this stuff in the media about burnout makes him feel a sense of hopelessness or worry.
2: Like, you no, know, just knowing that people are aware that this is an issue and we need to do something about this um, kind of gives me some sort of comfort that, you know, I'm not going to be left alone. Hack
3: on Triple
1: Jack. Angel Parsons with that story. We get a lot lot of comments coming through on this. Frank in Bendigo says, "'I'm considering being a rural GP despite growing up in the city. "'I'm always sad about how people outside of medicine view GPs, "'especially regionally. "'Also all regional practice is seen as lesser than the city, "'unfortunately.' Another person says, I'm a young doctor who went out bush because I wanted to make a difference. There were heaps of issues. Definitely didn't have a rosy country life. I also had to deal with interclinic politics. My health deteriorated. I left after older doctors advised me to get out while you can. The system is very broken. It's really disappointing to hear these stories. There are some positive ones, a lot of negative ones, though, and I want to talk to someone who knows a lot about this. Dr David Gillespie is a Federal Nationals MP. He was actually the Minister for Regional Health in the former government, and he's a doctor himself who has worked as a GP. Dr. Gillespie, thanks so much for joining us on HACC.
5: Yeah, good day. It's great to be with you. And uh, I've just been listening to the story you have, and there are many things I agree with, and there's uh, some other things I want to clarify.
1: Okay, well. Um, I mean, just a few months ago, you were responsible for this and the GP shortage in the bush, which has been an issue for years. What do we need to do to get more GPs into the regions?
5: Uh, Look, we had a multi-pronged approach. We've done an awful lot and there are lots of initiatives in place. In the last uh, time, I was there for 10 or 11 months and we got another half billion dollars into programs that we know work. And that is... The interview doctor mentioned a good experience, a positive experience as a med student or as a junior doctor in the country is really important. We totally agree. Um, We have developed rural medical clinical schools across the whole Murray-Darling Basin, which will have med students based in places like Dubbo, Wagga, Albury, Shepparton, Bendigo, Ballarat, Mildura, you name it. And uh, they are there from go to woe for their university medical degree. Uh, which is the first degree a doctor has to have because you've got to then, once you're registered and done your internship, you have to do a second degree um, that your specialist college, whether it's a GP college or a surgical college gives you. And you do that training in hospitals and in practice. And we put so much more into getting junior doctors into general practice, like Ian Cameron said. Uh, we put funds on the table to expand a program called John Flynn Uh, where 1,500 places per year after a few years would have a a junior doctor who's not yet a specialist in something, who's in the hospital system, uh, rotating through general practice year after year.
1: I'm wondering, Um, David Gillespie, though, like there's a a lot of um, initiatives there and incentives to get young doctors to the country, which is great, right? But the bigger issue, it seems, is that there are not many incentives for them to stay there.
5: Well, um, in a way, uh, that's right. But there are many incentives if you live and work in a town and you have a good experience. Country towns welcome doctors with open arms. Um, we have tried to change the paradigm. We put up a policy of innovative models of care uh, so that general practices could compete against salaried uh, jobs in public hospitals. That's the other problem. General is seen by the young doctors, as the doctor said, it's seen as low status and lower income and for people to jump out of a salary where you get holiday pay, you get maternity leave, you get your superannuation payment, uh, you, you, you get paid holidays, when you go into general practice you don't get that and so a lot of people are reluctant to leave it and they can't have portability of their um, entitlements that they've accumulated also been working in the public hospital salaried system and they take a pay cut to be a registrar so we put together a model so that they could offer things like come to our general practice and we'll give you a sign-on bonus Um, we'll get you involved in teaching at one of our many rural medical schools so you feel like you've got a high status job being a teacher of the next uh, you know, young doctor, and maybe that yeah. will
1: work. I mean, the health minister, the current health minister Mark Butler, is blaming the former government for the oh, crisis yeah. here, and that. he says yeah. he says that. It's up to the current government to clean up the mess. There's been nine long years of cuts and neglect. With something like uh, the Medicare rebate, for instance, it's a big issue. We just heard young people talk about it. It's been stagnant for years, which means GPs are basically paid the same now as they were eight years ago. Why hasn't that been a priority?
5: Um, Well, the freeze on the GP MBS rate came in under the Labor government Admittedly, it was continued for eight years um, in total, Uh, but Greg Hunt uh, re-indexed it and it's gone up. We've added an extra payment, a bulk billing incentive payment, and the more rural you are, the more you get. And in the last two budgets, we worked up this policy that I was alluding to, where a second payment that general practices get paid in arrears, it's called a workforce incentive payment. So it's not when you bill Medicare, it is accumulated over, you know, every three or four months you get an extra payment. Now, we've increased that. And the more rural you go, the bigger the payments are. And so there are other incentives baked in and we've just turbocharged them with these initiatives. And I hope Mark Butler uh, installs them because we were planning on doing it, uh, being back in government, but, but now the pressure's on him. But over the last uh, four years, since 2008, uh, we have had a stronger rural health uh, package uh, now over a billion dollars of specific rural initiatives that have seen more, there are more young doctors uh, and nurses in rural areas but the problem is uh, we have got a lot of Older GPS who've retired brought forward things because of COVID. And we're going at, at any one time. There's 2,000 international medical graduates coming going through We're going to the talk country. about
1: that a bit more now. But yeah. we appreciate we appreciate you expanding on that. Nationals MP Dr David Gillespie. We've run out of time, but thank you very much for breaking that down. Appreciate you taking the time to do that.
5: Okay, no worries.
1: Thanks. We're going to get a different perspective on all of this now. Dr. Megan Bellow is a rural GP. She's also president of the Rural Doctors' Association. Dr. Bellow, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Why is it that there seems to be this image problem for GPs that we've heard about from students, that you know others in the medical community I mean, and, and outside the medical community look down on GPs? Well...
6: I think it's come from numerous avenues. Um, Definitely, I think it does stem from university. Um, There wasn't, definitely, when I was going through university, I was extremely lucky. I had um, Dr. John Murta, or Professor John Murta, who um, gave, um, who actually wrote you know, the Bible of um, general practice. It's a core textbook um, that we use or did use because everything's online now. Um, and, you know, he gave us fantastic stories of when he was a rural GP and um, I felt quite lucky to to have that experience. But nowadays, a lot of the time in university, um, GPs aren't at that higher level Um, within the university at that professor level or at that um, more academic level and therefore that kind of filters through um, a junior doctor's uh, medical student's uh, training. Um, I have definitely experienced myself um, when being on rotation as a junior doctor. Um, uh, you know, when I've ever mentioned of uh, thinking about being a GP, uh, oh well, why would you do that? You're too smart to be a GP. Right. You know that 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 filters through a lot, and, and that's that and is I, what we've been that, hearing
1: from so many yeah. young students who are still having that same experience. All these years later, they're still saying that I want to yep. go quickly, yep. Megan. Twenty to, years later, yeah, twenty years later. I want to yep. go to someone uh, who's on the phone. Gill is on the phone. Gil, you're a young doc and would love to be a GP.
6: That's right. Yes. It's- um I haven't pursued it any further because I have I'm 4 years graduated out of med school and I have friends that have pursued GP training and the conditions that they work in
1: I just, I don't think I could handle them. Yeah. I mean, and uh, that's what some are saying on the text line as well. They're saying, um, you know, ideally I'd love to do it, but I've just seen friends go through it and I don't think it's worth it. I want to go back to Dr. Megan um, Bellow, who's from the Rural Doctors' Association. Megan, some research out today shows the vast majority of GPs are burnt out. One in four are going to retire soon. Are we going to see GP surgeries closing en masse in the years ahead, do you think?
6: Well, if we don't do something now, it's definitely a possibility. Um, you know, we really, something bold and drastic needs to happen. And I think that COVID certainly has not been kind to us in the sense that, you know, we've seen doctors retire a lot earlier because they thought, you know what, why should I hang in for this? You know, I think COVID has made people reassess their priorities in life. And, you know, hopefully that is family and friends and having a better quality of life. Um but also, um, lost my train of thought,
1: sorry. Um, <laughs> That's okay. That's <laughs> okay. And I mean, as yes. well, the, the other thing is there are big flow on effects of not having GPs and communities right onto other areas of the health system.
6: Oh, absolutely. You know, GPs are paramount. Like if we do our job well, it is silence because no one is getting admitted to hospital because they're not having the heart attacks. The cancer is, you know, found early. So they, the patient has a minor operation rather than a massive um, operation and then chemo or radiotherapy. Mm. So it's um, a lot of our preventative medicine that we do actually does go unseen um, but makes uh, an absolute benefit to the whole health system and keeps people out of hospital. We, you know, that, that's, yeah.
1: We appreciate your um, insight, expertise on all of that. Dr. Megan Bellow from the Rural Doctors' Association, thanks for joining us on Hack. Thank you. And some messages coming through. Someone says I'm a doctor with many friends who are GPs or training to be GPs. There's an issue with how the community undervalues good general practitioners. Another person says, I went to Western Sydney uni. We have a strong focus on rural and GP work. And someone else, we learnt in my social work degree that financial incentive won't retain health workers in rural areas, but community and a sense of belonging will. Prior to
7: the wedding, we paid for all of their food, all of their drinks, because they had outlined that. It was their wedding and they were to be celebrated, so everyone had to cover their costs.
1: On Triple Jack. If you're going to a wedding soon, be prepared to fork out some serious cash on all sorts of stuff. And emotions run high. Sometimes friendships are ruined over what you are or you're not willing to spend. We're getting a lot of messages through on this one already, but I want to know, what's the most you've had to fork out for a mate's wedding or another big event? Have you lost a friend over it? Call in 1300 0555 36. You can message in as well, 0439 757 555. In a sec, we're going to chat to a relationships expert, but first, Shalala Madora had a chat with some hack listeners about the crazy amounts they've had to spend on other people's weddings.
8: Josie didn't hesitate in saying yes when her bestie asked her to be in her bridal party.
7: I was like stoked that she had asked me to be a part of her wedding. I was so
8: happy. She thought it was gonna be a pretty chilled affair, but boy, was she wrong. I was left out of pocket $4,800 by the end of it. The wheels started falling off when Josie realized the expectations her friend had for her hen celebration. It was so elaborate. Her friend insisted on a three-day weekend to be designed by a party planner.
7: A nice dinner, she wanted a wine tour, party bus. Wanted a night out on the town after that. She wanted everyone to have matching pajamas. Spa nights so people had to bring face masks. She wanted like a cocktail competition. I had to borrow money from family to co- help cover my cost. And that was just the
8: hens. It got worse in the lead up to the wedding when the bride and groom expected the bridal party to pay for their food and drinks. Then there was the cost of the accommodation.
7: We were all paying close to $600 each per night. We had to stay there for three nights. The bride has
8: lost friends over this whole thing. A few even pulled out of going to the wedding altogether.
7: If she is just going to be so self-absorbed and so self-centred, I don't think she'd be able to see my side of the story and be able to rationalise how she was acting.
8: Even though Josie's still friends with her, the whole experience has left her scarred. And I think if someone was
7: ever to ask me to be in their wedding again, I would say no. It's just too expensive. I mean, there wasn't really a question of we wouldn't go. Like, we're a very close family.
8: Okay, but there are some people you do anything for, no matter how much it costs. So far, it's cost me nearly $10,000. Fuck me, 10 grand. Sophie from Nam Melbourne, only has one brother. So when he decided to get married in Cartagena, Colombia, she said yes, no questions asked.
4: You can be unhappy about something, but know that you still have to do it and still be willing to do
8: it. It's costing her an absolute fortune.
7: The flights are going to cost $4,500 return. And then they are having four days of wedding celebrations. So that has equaled to about
8: two and a half thousand dollars. Sophie says her brother is earning some major coin, so he doesn't realise what that amount of money is to other people. For Sophie though, it's a commitment of its own. It's all coming out of my savings account. That's been going
9: towards a house deposit. So a small Indian wedding would last at least three or four days and would have a minimum of about three to 400 guests.
8: The expectations around weddings are often steeped in culture.
9: When I actually went to a Western wedding, I thought, oh my God, is this, is this it? Is this the wedding?
8: Nisha from Nam says in Indian weddings, people are keeping a close eye on how much money you give as presents.
9: I can remember my parents having this uh, notebook in which they would write down who had given how much money at various weddings in their family so that when they attended a wedding in that person's family, they would return that present.
8: That might sound weird to you, but heaps of cultures do something similar. Our very own Dave Marchese says that's common in Italian weddings too. Back in the day, that's where your obligations as a guest would end. But Nisha says that's changing now.
9: That's how the sort of expense for a wedding guest adds up.
8: Ultimately, it's up to individuals to decide if they want to be part of these huge celebrations.
6: We've been invited to three separate destination weddings from three separate friendship groups.
8: Tom from Ghana, Adelaide, has decided to prioritise these friendships, even over other big life decisions.
6: Very recently we came uh, really close to a house that we really loved, but at the same time uh, a couple of these destination weddings were announced and we decided that, Instead of stretching our budget really thin uh, with mortgage repayments, with interest rates going up, it was it was not worth the financial stress and, and we'd rather be able to enjoy our friends' weddings.
8: So Tom and his partner have pulled out of buying a house for now. For them, travelling post-COVID and getting to enjoy close friends' weddings is way more special.
6: Money comes and goes, houses come and go, there'll be other houses, we'll earn other money, but our friends have chosen those specific dates and locations for their weddings and so we've planned around that.
1: Hack on Triple J. Shalala Medora there and whoa, we need to open the text line floodgates on this one. There's so many messages coming through. Someone says, I was out of pocket $6,000 for a friend's wedding as a bridesmaid. Now on her second marriage, I've been asked to do it again. Another person says, I was a bridesmaid for my brother's wedding and I've forked out about $1,000 for three dresses and alterations for the dresses, hands, hair, and makeup, and wedding gifts. There was no thank you, no appreciation. That was Laura in Melbourne. And someone else says, I wonder if these expensive wedding people are the same ones who give out a shopping list for their birthday a few months in advance. It could be. Bryce and Ebony were speaking about that a few weeks ago, and they're pretty annoying as well. But we're sticking to the weddings and big events. I want to talk to someone who can give us some advice on how to navigate these really tricky conversations with mates. Fiona Bennett's from Relationships Australia, and she's with us now. G'day, Fiona. Thanks for coming on Hack.
0: Hello, you're very welcome. This is such an interesting and quite controversial topic by the
1: sounds of the input you've got. It's very controversial. Weddings are all about building and cementing relationships, but it sounds like they can also tear them apart. Why do people get so caught up in the spectacle of a wedding?
0: Well, it's interesting really, isn't it? Because a wedding is the whole celebration isn't it it feels very public you know the couple is saying hey this is us look at us
1: they are and then and they want people to to know all about it they want to feel like a celebrity for a day i think um a lot of couples have this dream day in mind fiona and they think that the more money they spend the more elaborate it is the better it's going to be is that just a recipe mm. for disaster
0: Oh, look, it can be for some people. I mean, your interviews were saying, you know, some people do earn a lot of money and proportionally for them spending what seems like a lot actually isn't as far as their income is concerned, but they're quite rare, really, aren't they, as far as most people really have to budget and really have to take account of of what they do earn and what they can afford
1: some people on the text line. One says, I paid $2,500 for a friend's wedding, pulled out as a bridesmaid the night before the wedding because of her behaviour. Not friends anymore. Ow. Another person says, me and my fiance are getting married in Ireland by ourselves. No one's invited. Our son's christening had fights and punch-ups. I didn't want that again. No way. Not at a wedding. And another person says, I've been to friends' weddings in South America, Malaysia, India, France and Greece. I've never been in the bridal party and my gift has been my presence they've all been epic and I wouldn't change a thing let's go to a caller now Brooke's on the line hey Brooke what's been your experience
6: hey so I worked in the wedding industry for over 10 years and sort of as Instagram grew from what I saw working as a wedding planner was it really put the pressure on a lot of people to go bigger and better and you know, get those really Instagram-worthy kind of photos. And you saw saw people
1: trying to one-off each other?
6: Yeah, and I saw a lot of people really sort of pushing their budget further than they wanted to so they could get the right, you know, look and that kind of thing.
1: Very interesting. And you have a very unique insight as a former wedding planner, Brooke. Thank you very much for that. I want to go back to Fiona Bennett from Relationships Australia. Fiona, how should you approach a friend if what they're asking you to spend is just too much and you really can't afford it?
0: It can be difficult, can't it? Because money is often a sensitive subject for people to talk about. So sometimes it can be good to start really quite softly in terms of saying, I know this is such an important day for you, really want to be part of it and join what feels like such a celebration. You can even sometimes say something like, and it feels awkward for me to say this to you, given we're friends, but I thought you'd understand, or I thought you'd want to know, you know, kind of my situation
1: in this. And what about if you've already had a big fight with someone? Like we're hearing from people on the text line now who are saying, yeah, I haven't spoken to my former best friend for years because of a big blow up we had over weddings. What do you do? Should you approach them? Is it better to give it time in that situation? How's the best way to approach mending a relationship?
0: Yes, really great question, because it can sit really difficult with us, can't it, as far as this doesn't feel right. I feel like there's so much I would like to say, but is it right to or when is the good time to? And it depends on the friendship that you had leading up to the big fight and quite how that played out. But usually if you approach someone saying this isn't feeling okay for me, I really want us to be able to have a a conversation about quite how we got off track with that or quite what went wrong. It felt bad for me when it happened. I didn't want our friendship to be ruined because of it. There's ways that you can raise the conversation. If the if the other person comes back and really is quite defensive and isn't open to talking about it, then that can really help us understand, okay, it was so important for them. They're not able to hear what I want to say or what my experience was. So yeah, that can that can tell you something important.
1: Hack on Triple Jack. And some more messages through on the text line on the wedding. Somebody says the wedding doesn't make the marriage. Another person says my wedding's in two weeks and they're crazy effing expensive. If you can't pay for the groom party, at least go cheap. My groom outfits are like a hundred bucks each. Yeah, that sounds like a bargain. I'm pretty stoked with that. That's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. Thanks to all of our guests who contributed. I'll catch you next time.